Welcome to This Week in Local, a Locology podcast featuring lively conversations about the local digital ecosystem, hosted by Locology analysts Mike Bolin and Charles Lachlan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Local. I'm Charles Lachlan, Senior Analyst at Locology. And today I'm joined by Josh Sherman, who is with B2B Software Advisors. Did I get that right, Josh? You did, Charlie. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm doing well. Great. So we have a specific thing to talk about today, and that's what you refer to as BD-driven M&A. Now, I'm sort of treating this as a coinage of yours. Is it or is it a common phrase out there that you just happen to use? <laughs> I'm, I always hesitate to take uh, full credit for uh, of what can, to some feel like a fairly standard saying, but I, I can't say I've, I've heard it in a way that, um, or as commonly as I use it, maybe that's the right way to say it. And when I started B2B Software Advisors, we can get into, that was the, just the first thing that popped into my head was I just want to focus on this, you know, biz dev led M&A approach. Uh, which, okay. Which I'm sure we so can we'll get about. into what that means yeah. in a moment. So talk, so what I want to do is quickly have you establish your credentials for talking about BD-driven M&A. So, sure. and I, we, we met first when you were at uh, SurePath, which was, uh, right. you can tell That's us right. what that was. Why don't you just walk us through a few of your uh, stops along the way that kind of set you up to, to, to be a um, yeah. subject matter expert here. Happy to, happy to. And again, it's really great to be here. Um, so I started, you know, I started my career in, um, in, in what I call banking, you know, it's more on the debt capital market side, non-tech and, and really non-M&A to be clear. Um, but uh, um, I moved into tech after realizing how much I hated that world. And in 2010 or so, I joined my first startup in a business development role. It felt like the only thing I was really qualified for and also focused on the small business software space, which I turned out to really love and felt a lot more passion for. Um, and through that, I really just started to cut my teeth in what business development meant in terms of building relationships, how to launch partnerships to drive, um, you know, further distribution, further brand, you know, get the brand know-how and what and whatnot around that. And that really um, just I, I dove right in into just broader business development um, at a startup called Postling at the time. But then I joined my first, you know, large established B2B software business um, called Constant Contact, which, you know, at the time most was- Most of us have know, heard of it. <laughs> most, I hope, have heard of Constant Contact. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, it was at Constant Contact where it just really expanded the, the broader, my, you know, my broader business development know-how and, and what I built the foundation of my expertise in the space. But it was also there that I worked closely with the corporate development team, as often the biz dev and corp dev teams do. And it's where, um, you know, I really saw- the, the symbiotic relationship between how Corp Dev leans on the partnerships team as as certain potential strategic priorities come to light, and it was there where um, we ended up acquiring a company called Single Platform, which uh, we can talk about at some point or later. But that's where I saw this this Biz Dev led approach, where I was like, "Wow, I was talking to them on the partnership side." Um, it turns out that the company was thinking about that space and and they heard that Josh was working on a partnership with them and yada, 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 we ended up acquiring the business. Um, and it was really there that I saw that first piece of it. Um, and so I went on, continued to do some biz dev work inside B2B software space, but then I ended up being pulled into a more traditional M&A role uh, with SurePath Capital Partners, as you mentioned. Um, Mark McLeod, who was the founder there, super grateful that he gave me that opportunity to come over. He really wanted someone, he didn't want a banker. Um, I think a lot of founders can get frustrated with bankers and Mark was built 
building a, uh, a different type of firm. And I really loved his vision. And we were really able to execute on the vision of being a more founder-friendly bank, you know, advisor, if you will. But we wanted to work with clients um, because we knew the space really well. It wasn't like, let's just get their company sold. It was, let's try to find the right buyers for your business because we know the business really well. Um, and again, that further just started developing that concept in my mind. And as we, as we launched various sell-side processes and we started having conversations with strategics, which by the way, 90 plus percent of the time they pass, right? I think everyone needs to understand that it's, you know, selling your company is not an easy thing. But what I found was how, how often buyers just weren't even familiar with the company. And that's a really hard place to start from when you're a smaller company, you know, let's call it two to 20 million of, of ARR. Typically those types of deals are not revenue driven, they're product driven. And if someone's going to make a product purchase, there usually needs to be a an established relationship in place of some kind, which yeah. we can unpack. Um, so it was that sure path that I continued to just like the, the most successful processes were those, you know, where the outcome went to a known buyer. And then the harder ones were when no one knew who they were. Yeah. And as Mark decided to move on, um, as, as he's, as he's, as he's talked about and go on to do his own more coaching, more personal one-to-one coaching. I decided to, to launch my own firm about three years ago called B2B Software Advisors, where I really bring together those two worlds. And when I was thinking about doing my own thing and thinking about what I wanted to focus on, that's what I felt the most passion for Charlie was really this, this concept of like helping founders um, build a path to an exit through business development. Okay. And that's what I do here. Okay, so let's get into that a little bit. First of yeah. all, just a quick note. Mark, you mentioned Mark McLeod, who I've, yeah. you know, I know as well. And he is the former CFO of uh, FreshBooks, right? Is it Mike? FreshBooks and, and Shopify. He was the first right. CFO at Shopify, helped them raise, I think, one that's of the a, first That's a bigger example, I think. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I remember the FreshBooks example well, but mm-hmm. I remember him talking a lot about FreshBooks. Um, but anyway, that, that sort of gets to the point of more op- M&A from more from an operator perspective than a banker perspective. Right? Correct. I yeah. mean, Mark, absolutely. I mean, he just, he would, he would often say as a CFO, he was really just tired of being approached by bankers who um, would blow a lot of smoke up his butt saying that, you know, we can sell your business and just throwing a lot of fancy metrics at them instead of really understanding, you know, under the hood of the business and why this could be strategically relevant. And so that, I, I believe that was his foundation for starting Surepath. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. That sounds familiar, certainly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So let's go back a step or two, if we don't, if you don't mind. Yeah. First of all, this is going to sound silly, but this is all about BD driven MA. So, and I'm sure everyone out there kind of knows this already, but let's make a quick distinction between BD mm-hmm. and sales. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Of course, that is a classic question. Even in my own house, as I'm married to a, a fantastic <laughs> saleswoman, she is a sales yeah. leader, and we often debate the nuances of the two. I mean, sales is very—I've I've always said sales is—you is, know, look, I want to sell you this cup, and you and you are going to buy this cup, right, or this software. And, Just and don't say cup. pen, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and it's a very defined transaction. Um, Whereas business development has to be longer, you know, you have to have a longer thesis in terms of, of why you are building a partnership with another software business. Um, it could be product driven, of course, you know, like we can maybe you, your product can help extend their solution. 
in many ways and you can white label that product and you're trying to sell that into them. But that is a, you know, it's still more of a partnership approach in terms of how that would look, how that would scale. And you really work with them in different ways. And there's different forms of distribution through that. There's, you know, building an integration, um, which is a very popular path to a, to a partnership with many B2B software businesses. And it's, you know, the building the relationship internally at, at, at the other party, it's, it's the, you know, getting the buy-in to, to develop that integration and then getting the buy-in from the go-to-market teams to actually promote and work together on what a path looks like. And I often say, you know, the reality is oftentimes with partnerships, um, which is, you know, can be used interchangeably with business development. I, I actually hear, continue to hear folks who are saying they, they don't even want to use biz dev anymore. They want to specifically I, I see partnership, partnership and titles more now. Yeah, I agree. And I would agree with that. Um, and, and so through a partnership, it's more of, you know, building a long-term roadmap to recurring revenue through a channel. Whereas, you know, sales is, you know, look, we're going to sell to what's a one-to-one sale to this customer and we're going to, you know, get revenue, book revenue now, and hopefully they renew in a year. But, you know, that's, that's, it's just a more long-term in nature. And I think for, for me, why I say biz dev led MA, biz dev led MA, excuse me, is because I do, it does have to stay broad. My goal with founders is I believe at, at a bare minimum, yes, you want to launch a partnership. I often talk about like, you know, we're not trying, you don't want to just launch something because the thesis is they're going to buy you. No, that's, that's a bad way to approach it. Like you should approach it as like, this could be, you know, a net positive for the business. You can hopefully launch a partnership, but at a bare minimum, you want to establish a relationship with the right stakeholders at the company. And that's why I say sometimes just business development. You're just developing that relationship with hopefully the CEO, hopefully some head of product, you know, maybe even if they have a corp dev team, and then across the go-to-market organization as well. And it can be through various channels. Um, but the goal is to develop that relationship so that when you are ready to sell your business, you can talk to an advisor who's going to help you do that and say, I have relationships with these 10, 15 parties. Here are the degrees of their relationships. Here's who I'm talking to. And you are going to be able to hand over like a much more baked pipeline and increase your probability of having a successful outcome. It's still, you know, there's never a guarantee. But even better, of course, is to generate that inbound interest. You know, ideally, you're developing those relationships internally. um, So that way you stay top of mind so that perhaps, you know, what your product is doing for them becomes a strategic priority and you're top of mind of like, hey, we're doing a, you know, hey, we're doing a market map and you know, we're looking at five different companies. We thought of you guys because you've been, you know, in front of us and would love to know more about your product. And and maybe now we're more serious about launching a partnership and they might talk to you about that, but really it's about exploring an M&A um, situation versus a partnership. And there's countless examples of that. Okay. So again, BD driven m and I think it might help to frame this in a few examples right now. Yeah, sure. The things that have been in the news that you would describe yeah, as BD driven Absolutely. M&A. I mean, there's, yeah, sorry. sorry absolutely. Um, so I'm going to have a whole bunch of fun examples and I think with different use cases as well. So I'm going to start, you know, my home team, Constant Contact, back in the day. So Constant Contact, of course, you know, at the time was a public company when I was there. One of our largest partnerships was with a company called Endurance International. Endurance International is a big holding company of different domains and website builders, and right. not anybody can look familiar with them. Yes. <laughs> and so um, 
uh, endurance ended up buying constant contact um, after many years of being tightly integrated together. They had, you know, multiple go to market motions. Constant contact was integrated into, you know, the endurance backend, the C panel of, you know, where they offer other tools. And there was countless amounts of data that was that they were able to point to. Um, and that's actually a very large transaction. It was a take private, but you know, I can guarantee you endurance does not do that deal if they didn't have the data to support the underlying um, partnership there. Okay. <laughs> so that's kind of, a, I always love to talk about that one. That's a fun one. And then of course, when, even when I was there, as I mentioned earlier, the single platform one, but um, in terms of, uh, you know, other examples, I, I'll, I'll kind of run through a couple that are that I didn't work on just to give you guys yeah, an example. More recently of in the news, if that's possible. Yeah. So, well, even, even recent, I mean, even a couple of weeks ago, um, HubSpot and Clearbit, you know, they just announced, you know, HubSpot announced the acquisition of Clearbit, which, you know, there was a longstanding inter, you know, partnership there. A lot of folks use Clearbit in partnership with HubSpot. So it really became, I think, as internally, I'm assuming as, as uh, more enriched data, you know, data is huge right now. And as I'm sure as HubSpot was looking at different data providers, it was, you know, I'm sure a lot of work went in behind the scenes, but I'd imagine it was easier for them to have a lot of data to point to with the existing partnership and folks that use that together. Um, another really big one, of course, was the Loom Atlassian. I actually, uh, the, the co-founder of Atlassian put a post out on LinkedIn that was like an advertisement for BizDevLet M&A. So I encourage folks to go, to go find that. But that's a great example where he talked about, you know, they had been building a relationship with Loom since 2019. Um, and uh, I'm sure that that felt like, like a no brainer. Um, yeah. and then another, in the sales like automation, too. <laughs> I'm sure for, I'm sure for the founders it did. Um, but I, you know, it's funny, like I would guarantee you, like I would feel pretty confident the loom founders, like, like, uh, it, it was strategic to work closely with Atlassian from a distribution standpoint. It makes a ton of sense how, how a lot of, um, product organizations were using loom. Um, and, I don't know if they would tell you in 2019 they were built, you know, that they would hopeful that Atlassian would buy them. But I'm sure at some point there is some list of, at least in their head of potential buyers and Atlassian was top of that list. <laughs> and so, this is an interesting yeah. question, which is how often do people go into BD relationships, for lack of a better term, um, yeah. with an exit in mind? I mean, do you think that's more common than not or less common than not? Or, I think it, de it, it depends. I think it depends on the, on the partner and, and who you're looking at. Um, I, I don't think that's, that should be the case a hundred percent of the time. I certainly hope not, especially there's, you know, the reality is you're evaluating potential buyers or seeking an exit at some point. I mean, the first, just two fundamental questions. I think one is of course, strategic fit. And the other is, do they even have the capacity to buy you at a valuation that would be interesting to you? So, right. um, those are two things you certainly need to need to vet for. Um, but I, I, you know, as much as I know every founder wants to, you know, IPO their company, um, the reality is if you just look at the data, the vast majority of companies exit, um, you know, exit for sub hundred million dollars, you know, which means there's a, there's a big gap there. You know, many are sub 50. A lot of those don't and, end up in the news. You don't read about and, all and, those tech because they're not big enough, right? Exactly. Many ultimately... Um, you know, those are, and those can still be wonderful outcomes, particularly for bootstrap founders, or maybe those that were just very lightly capitalized. Those can right. still be incredible outcomes, but the vast majority of exits happen in that range. Um, and so, you know, I just think it's, it's, they should constantly be uh, constantly is the wrong word. They should be thinking about it. They should be, they should be allocating time. And that is my pitch to clients and to folks that I just speak to on a regular basis. It's, it's not hard to carve out a couple hours a month 
to just nurture the, the, the pipeline, see if there's anyone that's worth touching base with, um, letting them know an update on the company, maybe, you know, some interesting case study, whatever it is, we can you know, talk through countless examples, but it's really a nominal effort um, that can pay at like long-term gains. I mean, it's, it's, it's business development, you yeah. know, and yeah, some yeah. of it, you don't know what it's going to reach into, but it, it can work. There's, there's this line you read about a lot from, you know, when people are talking about startups and entrepreneurship, which is don't worry about the money, worry about, you know, falling in love with a problem or whatever the advice is and the money will come. Is it sort of similar in this case where don't worry about the outcome of the BD relationship, just worry about the the validity of the BD relationship or the reason for it, et cetera. Talk about that a little. Yes, but, um, <laughs> you know, I would, again, you Everything want to be before the butt is bullshit. You know that, right? Yeah, I, I, just, I just want to make sure I would never want you like reorganizing your whole strategy. I mean, there's countless examples of founders who reoriented a full quarter or two of product development and go to market resources on a partnership that, that yielded nothing. I mean, I did that at constant contact. It's, it's frustrating, you know, to go and um, ask for those resources and it leads to nothing. So um, you, it, it needs to be calculated. I think that you need to decide the value of the potential partnership, the commitment you're getting from the partner, if, if you're going to actually launch something, but at a bare minimum, it is, almost at no cost outside of a couple hours of your time of the founder's time to just touch base, you know, you know, with the corp to corp dev leader, CEO, um, there's countless reasons to just stay top of mind. Um, that doesn't entail moving resources, but you do want to be in that discussion. There's no worse feeling, um, from an M and a perspective of hearing one of your competitors got, got bought and you didn't even get a phone call. Right. Because in a true, but like buyers are, are good. Buyers are smart and they rarely just put like laser in on one company and say, that's the one we're buying. It happens, but it rarely happens without going to go test what else is out there in the market so that they can bring that to the you know investment committee, to the board, to just make sure they're checking all the boxes of like, we've spoken with everyone. This is the right target, right valuation. And so if you're not even getting that call, that means you have not done a good job of like, they don't even know who you are. And that's- Yeah, you want your tires to be kicked, right? Correct. You yeah. definitely want your tires to be kicked. And I think the thing is for someone like where I try to help founders is just, yes, is to not ha let them waste your time. That's the key. Um, and it is always, a, and it's a, a place of strength also to just be like, look, you know, you don't want to be sold. You want to be bought. And I think it's really important like this- for me, this process allows you to get bought. And, you know, frankly, when I, you know, I, going back, if I can sort of bring back to a couple of examples, when I, that, that, that was no more true than in, I was working with Right Networks when they acquired Tally Street as a great example. You know, I was representing them. I was actually representing the buyer in this case, but I was helped their approach through the corp dev side also was let's get to know some companies, you know? And so, the two acquisitions we did when I was working closely with them, both Tally Street and Proposable, were, were partners of theirs. And we made a more concerted effort to get to know them more over a, over a couple quarters. Um, a little unsure if we felt we needed to own it, but it was through those interactions where it was like, yeah, we it's time to own these. We see enough value in the IP and the product and the team to bring these in-house and let's see if we can get a deal done. And that was positive for Right Networks and it was positive for those founders, right? Because then they were bought, not sold. They were not running processes um, and it was a really good outcome for everyone involved. So 
do you have any, either a sense or do you have any data or do you have a sense of it at least, that the outcomes are different in a BD-driven M&A process, for example, in terms of valuations, in terms of sale price, in terms of, I don't know, what other yeah. <laughs> metrics no, people would throw out there for that, but you, you know what I'm getting at. Uh, that's a great idea. I wish I, like, oh, God, I wish I could, you know, put together some massive research project. <laughs> Maybe one day I'll be able to do that, Charlie, but it's, it, it is more, I think, it's more, it's more of a anecdotal gut feeling, but also in, in just speaking with buyers. I mean, most of my job is talking to buyers and okay. buyers will, will unanimously tell you that they would rather get to know a company before buying them. And, you know, this is also true. We haven't talked, we've obviously been only covering I'm feeling strategic. a dating analogy coming. <laughs> it's very, very true. And that is, and, and, and the reality is where I, you know, um, uh, the, the, People will, every company founder would love to get bought by a strategic, right? That's the goal because that's a larger outcome. The strategics will always pay more. There's more upside. But the vast majority of acquisitions are actually by financial buyers, private equity buyers. And that's another component that I try to layer in to what I work, what I do with clients I, and, or anyone I talk to for that matter. I try to just really tell them, like, in addition to the strategic conversations, you are more likely to get bought from a financial. So how do you develop those relationships in an ongoing way um, and finding the right folks? Because those are going to ultimately be your partners. But that absolutely leads to just, you know, more streamlined processes. You know, a, 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 a lot of people say this, Mark used to hammer this home at Sherpath. Time is the enemy of all deals. So the, the, the more like fully baked of a pipeline from a both financial buyer and strategic buyer you can have, the, the quicker you can go to market when you're ready or Hopefully, if you're able to generate that inbound interest, we can go quickly to those five or 10 buyers that you've been nurturing and say, hey, they have an offer. It's a real one. They're considering it. Do you guys want to jump in? Because if not, we're going to go into exclusivity you know, in the next 30 days. Okay. And- so I, I'd like to talk about from a founder's perspective a little bit here. Sure. Um, kind of advice to founders in this context. Um, what should... Are there three or four things you say, you know, if you're not checking these boxes, you're not setting yourself. You've mentioned it like the whole, yeah, you know, vote a couple hours a month to, yeah, yeah. you know, the pipeline, all that stuff. But what are some other things you would add to the list of founder checklist to prepare themselves for this kind of outcome? Yeah. So I think, first of all, have, have that list, have the pipeline of buyers, number one. Mm-hmm. Build the list. It's so easy. Do it when you're bored. Like you have a moment. It doesn't have to be people, like, you know, just people you think no. should buy you. Right. Have your dream list, right? Of yeah. like, just here is the list of, you know, 10, 20 companies that would be a no brainer and why, like build the reason to like the why behind it, like why it makes sense. And then you just need to work, start working backwards from there. Do you have any resources allocated to any of these partners today? Are you currently integrated? Like, where are you like, kind of start mapping your relationships a little bit. If you have a biz dev team, you know, they don't need to know you're doing this through an M&A lens, but start adding these names to their pipeline and tying some KPIs so that they can try to start launching those. And it's, you know, and then I would say add, it's so basic blocking and tackling, but add on your calendar once a month, you know, a one hour block to visit that pipeline. It's so easy. How Um, how should you be nurturing that pipe? How should a founder be nurturing that pipeline? You mentioned having their BD people reach out, see if there's a partnership to start. I mean, that makes perfect sense in the context of BD-driven M&A. But what other things should be done by a founder to nurture that pipeline? I think the founder, depending on the target, should be 
trying to touch base with either the, the CEO at that company, the, some head of corp dev at the company, or if they're more of a product person, ideally a head of product, the decision makers. There's always going to be you know, cheerleaders in a company for an acquisition, but you really want to nurture the decision maker right. relationship. Cheerleaders can do a lot of cheering, but sometimes that's exactly. all they do, right? <laughs> exactly. And this is where it's like sales, right? I mean, this is like sales terminology, right? Of finding who your champion is and who the right. cheerleaders are and, and whatnot. Um, but, you know, again, it might not be appropriate every month, but sending company updates or, or touching base if by some chance you're going to be at a conference where they're going to be at, would love to, you know, grab you for 15, 20 minutes and talk about, you know, a partnership or how we could work together, finding the right path to just touch base where it doesn't feel... It's just the sort of thing where you don't mention exit until it's time to mention exit. How do you think about the nature of these interactions? Yeah, this is... A, I always love this... Um, I'm, I personally believe like, look, if you're, if you're seeking an exit in, um, you know, let's call it north of a year, you know, 12 to 18 months, 12 to 24 months. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with, with saying that to a founder of like, look, like we're heads down. We're really excited about the company where this is what's working. We're going to double down on this over the next 12 months. And, the rea- and then, you know, look, I've been doing this for a certain number of years and I'm probably going to pick my head up at that point and start, you know, pursuing an exit either formally or informally. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, like whatsoever. Um, don't be coy, in other words. Don't be coy. I, I mean, I don't, it's, it's, yeah, you want to be coy about valuation and you want to be coy okay. about other things, of course. Okay. But but no, I mean, I think you're, it's, I think that's what builds relationships. When someone feels you're not bullshitting them, I think, like, I think people just, that's part of developing relationships, right? Is, 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 is authenticity and, believing that like this is someone that you could see working with long term um and i and that's just what i really try to get them out of their comfort zone and it's striking to me a lot of founders you know, especially like probably more product-led founders just aren't they're not comfortable in that and so i i really try to push them a little bit to do that and help prep them for some calls and just get them to be more comfortable it's dating it is dating like you said charlie like, I, mean, <laughs> get, we, I think we thought we're going to get there sooner or later with that analogy yeah i mean it exactly. feels it, it feels like it has some of the components of that certainly it it's does. you know when do you you know when do you take it to the next level <laughs> exactly exactly who makes the first who makes the first move right yeah all these stupid yeah, yeah. Who pays for dinner? Like, yeah. Who pays for de- that's a big one that's for sure uh but yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's all it all holds for the M and A side, and um, and I just you know I, I do I think it's something that is it's a huge area of underinvestment for founders um, in general, particularly I will say um, the bootstrap founder, yeah, because they're just so heads down running the business and don't have it, it's hard it's hard for them. So I want to before we wrap up, I just want to shift gears. Well, I mean, st- still within the you know, framework of SMB software, but, and, and investing in M&A. We've been through, you know, you're not a VC, I know that. Um, But we've been through a rough funding environment over the last, say, year or so, more than that, probably. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you see coming up? I mean, do you see any change in the conditions, macro conditions, or any any change in the environment that's going to change things in 2024, in terms of the ability to raise money, etc.? I just didn't know if you had any thoughts on that. I was hoping you could tell me that, because <laughs> I'm a. I mean, I wish I knew that. No, I mean, I think I think there is a, uh, you know, there is a sense of optimism for sure as we head into the first half of next year. Um, 
Based on what I, in your view? I, I, I mentioned earlier the two types of buyers, yeah. right? So the financial buyers and strategic buyers. Strategics are, are from, from all of my conversations, they're being inundated right now with a lot of not so good companies that are in trouble, raise way too much money. Um, now we got to do something about it. Yeah. And, and now we got to do something about it. Which, by the way, of those companies, the ones who are in the best position are those that have pre-existing relationships with a lot of these companies. If not, then they're going to get beaten This is down. not the time to start that relationship. No, this is the yeah. wrong time. Um, and then, but whereas on the financial side, financials are, I mean, I'm getting inundated with like, we're looking for good quality assets. Like we want, we are absolutely buyers. Um, I think that they're, the, the market has held pretty well for them that, interest rate environment. I think the instability of the interest rate environment over the last year plus has put a lot of people on pause, but that seems to be settling down now, which is a, which is a net positive for the M&A world, particularly on the financial, through the financial lens. Um, so I'm seeing some optimism. I think there's folks that are, of course, it's caveated with it's an election year next year. Um, and so a lot of what I'm, what I am relaying, frankly, from buyers that I'm talking to that I'm relaying to clients and, and, and friends is, you know, the first half of next year could be really good. If you're a solid company, it could be really good for you. Um, but there's just the uncertainty of an election year and the broader macroeconomic environment beyond then is tough to say. So um, I, I have been for the first time, I've told a lot of folks in this year, like, if you don't need to sell, don't sell your company. Like that's, it's just not worth it. I'm, that tone has shifted. If you are looking to sell, it could be a good window Whereas later in the year, TBD, it's just, I it can't go yeah, beyond yeah, yeah. You know, a couple quarters okay. out. That, that, that's a fair summary not and not unhelpful. Um, yeah. Last very quick question is, as somebody observes SMB software, are there any areas in terms of business formation? You know, FinTech has obviously been huge and all these other things, but are there sectors that you're excited about in the near term? Ver, I mean, vertical SaaS is still continues to, be the place to be. Um, I think horizontal SaaS is getting harder and harder for a lot of buyers because it's just it's been be, it's been saturated and, and beaten down. So I think if you can pick a swim lane inside of um, you know inside of the SMB space, that's where you're seeing a lot of a lot of interest, like very niche specific vertical small business solutions um, are just driving a lot of the interest right now. Okay, Josh, this has been a lot of fun. We're going to have to end it there. Perfect. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been This Week in Local. Stay tuned every week for more episodes. I'm Charles Laughlin. My co-host is Mike Boland. Thanks to today's guest, Josh Sherman of B2B Software Advisors. You can find this show on all major podcast networks, and you can learn more at Locology.com. Please subscribe, like, and review this podcast. Your engagement really helps others find us. Our producer is Dara Sweat. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Locology's This Week in Local with Mike Bolin and Charles Lachlan. Be sure to subscribe for more.